plans are worthless. But planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine intelligence officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Mark, we're going to talk about the new renewable reality. And we're going to talk about renewable energy, but obviously there's risks, there's opportunities, which everybody sees. Uh, there's certain threats that we need to be aware of, but there's just so much going on in this space, not just here in, in, in North America, but all over the world in terms of, of what this change implies and the considerations, well, actually the planning that needs to take place in order to actually deal with this new energy reality that we're, that we're walking or we're running into, I should say. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, anyone... Uh the conversation most of us are all are, we're all having is uh, whether it's the heat or the floods or you know what's going on. Just just a shift in terms of our climate, and actually at times, <clears throat> at the risk, it's often over discussed. It seems it's almost uh, you know too much. But it, frankly, the importance of it can't be uh, underestimated. And, and frankly, when we talk about that, is the elements that are there geopolitically and how we must internally, indigenously, move more quickly. Okay, so it's not just a question of do we want wind, solar, or in this case, I'll give this back to you, nuclear. There is a recommitment to nuclear. It's sometimes not uh, uh, in vogue in some circles, but it's, it's the technologies and the efficiencies are such that we're going down that path. You know, nuclear technically is not renewable energy, but, but it is part of the whole green concept there. And, and of course, you know, things like Three Mile Island and then Fukushima uh, deterred a lot of people. If Germany, in a major way, decided to denuclearize, and then they were regretting that the moment Russia went into Ukraine and they turned off the pipe, so to speak. Uh, so we need, to, we need to kind of look at this reality, and, but it also is changing. You know, we, we're talking about moving away from a carbon-based economy. We're tur- talking about moving away from oil and gas all right and of course the famous supply chains from the or supply chains from the middle east and of course the military involvement we've had in the middle east to secure those supply chains but there's new supply chains there's new areas we have to look out for lithium for various uh rare earths if you will around the world and what's interesting is that china and to a lesser extent russia have a major role in where these things are sourced. And it's, so we're moving away from worries about the Middle East oil into worries about, are we building a new reliance on places like China, our pure competitor, if you will, the U.S. pure competitor, because of its control over so much in the renewable space. 
No, absolutely. And so there's going to be the, the, you know, there's always risk with substitution, right? So so the, the pace of adoption is going to be driven, you know, by the access to your point of, of the, the, the core raw materials, the ability to create the infrastructure that's going to support the, the renewable energies going forward. So it's an ecosystem and a, continu- a continuum that must be harmonized and, and, and managed in, in, in concert. So you'll talk about that a point that i'm going to throw back at you and what we'll hear is that in the united states battery installations solar and wind it fell by um 16 percent in 2022 okay why is that to your point supply chain integration mm-hmm. lengthy delays and and in, in connecting projects to the grids i'm going to talk we're, we're going to talk about that the grid issue a little later but it's all intertwined so the projections that we're making arguably are not realistic and to that point that's why i sometimes feel when we're talking about this you get a little bit of eye rolling because people are saying that's nice you're a tree hugger but this is not a tree hugger issue this is a existentialist issue uh and 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 has huge geopolitical ramifications you know there's with renewable energy you know particularly solar wind all right the, the sun doesn't shine 24 hours a day the wind does not blow so the challenge we've always had is we, we have to have some way to store that electricity, which goes to batteries. Now, there's a lot of work in batteries. I would say, you know, a lot of praise goes to Elon Musk with, uh, with Tesla and the EV side, really pushing the improvements in battery technology across the board. So we're seeing a lot of stuff happening in batteries. But the problem is the sourcing for where that battery material comes from. That's a huge challenge that we all have to deal with is where it is. And it's not just lithium. We're talking cobalt and other materials that go into the batteries and where those are located and how we can get them. Uh, absolutely. You, you might want to throw nickel in there. Oh, I'll <laughs> as, throw nickel in there all day. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> and I, I must, I must uh, you know, again, a plug for, for Canada and, the, uh, and Fortress North America. I mean, we talk about this. We, we have got tremendous amounts of, of um, natural resources and we're experts, uh, experts at ex- mineral extraction uh, in Canada. So that's part of our Fortress North America. Mark, Mark's talking about Canada when he's saying that, by the way, in case you're wondering. But no, Canada is a, a mining intensive uh, country historically. Right. And so what the point is, is that in terms of our supply management, our supply chain management, our core uh, sourcing, we've got a tremendous amount of it here. As we've talked earlier about South America and other parts of the world. Let me make one other quick point, too. We talked about a quilt work, whether you like it or not, we are recommitting to nuclear. It is going to happen. But you're talking about key elements of, of, of inputs to that. And here's a geopolitical issue. We, we can't get away from it. Russia dominates uranium processing, okay? And they're the, the only supplier of high assay, low enriched uranium, which is needed for nuclear energy. Here we are, and we've talked about this in other areas, we're not exactly on the best term with with Russia, but we do have a commitment on our on our energy roadmap to nuclear. So these are the things that are not eye rolling, and we're not tree huggers. These are real policy issues that must be solved and creatively addressed. By the way, I know someone out there is thinking, well, what about fusion? What about hydrogen? You know, what about fusion energy? And, you know, for a long time, there was, a, there was a very famous saying. They said fusion, which, of course, is fusing uh, uh, hydrogen together in order to create, you know, a tremendous 
energy outbursts like the hydrogen bomb. Uh, much more potentially much more powerful, but also much more plentiful. Uh, to your point, uh, it's not dependent on uranium. It's not dependent on a lot of other ways that we do fission. But but they used to say forever, hydrogen, is, or safe hydrogen or, or controlled hydrogen is 25 years out. And, and I remember the famous saying was, and it will always be 25 right, years out. Right, now, right. recently, they just had a controlled fusion reactor where they actually produced more energy than they were putting into it. It actually it came out as a plus. This is a big thing, made headlines, got everybody wondering, gee, is hydrogen going to burst forth? Uh, and the question that I have to you is, do you think planning for fusion is realistic, or do we need to plan more for other types of nuclear energy, but other types of energy sources because of the consistent problem that hydrogen has in terms of technological development. Okay, l let me respond in a very with a very in a very pedantic way. I mean, first off, to answer your first question, uh, yeah, hydrogen's great. It's still on the on the bench. We, we need to be talking about scale. Okay, and 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 we we've got um, in, installed bases, and we've actually the 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 cost of wind energy and solar through all of the exercises we've gone through has, has dropped dramatically in the past decade. So we're there, okay? So let's let's look at the game board and see what we have, okay? Fusion can still be on another game board, but let's look at what we do have in terms of renewables and, and we'll come back to nuclear later. The problem that we should be putting our energy and focusing towards and focusing on right now is an outdated grid that, that, that we have in North America. We have projects, we have over 8,000 energy products for renewables that can't be picked up because we can't, do you know why? The choke point is getting them integrated into the grid. So if you ask for a practical first step, I'd say let's triage the problems that are associated with our grid infrastructure, come up with plans of action that we can fast track some of the existing projects that are waiting to be bolted in that is the most immediate fix that we have right now. You know, years ago, I was, I was involved with a big homeland security exercise we had. And we were looking at the grid system and potentially compromise the grid system. And it was very interesting when I got into it, looking about how bifurcated our, our grid was. You know, to this day, we still don't have a nationwide grid when you get into it. Uh, if you look at what happened with Texas uh, sometime back where... You know their grid basically shut down right good that's point. because texas has its own separate grid system right. and it's not that they don't technically link there is some linkages but but if you look at it as a comprehensive national grid system a, a truly a, a a strategic infrastructure type of thing it's not there it's a lot of nuts and bolts that were put together but still if you produce massive renewable energy say in the west that's not going to light uh, you know the city of New York. Right. It just doesn't work that right. way. And a point that we, you know, we may that must be made is that with the speed of change here. First off, back to what was said earlier. We're not going to repeat it, but we must work with what we have. And you know, part of it is just to the point getting the grid squared away and putting resources to that. The other is understanding the sense of urgency here. If you look back at the last two decades, the in time, the pace, the next two decades are going are they're going to be such massive compression in, in, in terms of change so what was happening as a once in 100 year incident say a flood people willing to live with that 
is now becoming once in a decade, okay? Five years from now, is that gonna be once in every five years, once in every two years? And, and we've got, there's a, there's a couple of things here we need to come back to. One is we've talked about the grid. The other is we've got our incentives upside down. So when people are, are build in areas, for example, that they shouldn't, like whether it's a floodplain or whatever, or an area that's not accessible or an area that's too hot. When something goes wrong, the Stafford Act has been with us forever. We, we, when something goes wrong, we reimburse them. What we have to come at with a, from a policy perspective is reimbursement associated with conditions that make sense given the climate change, given access to renewable energy. And that's going to have a lot of tweaks, not just to the grid, but to the, our urban planning, our lifestyle choices, and so forth. It's a, it's a comprehensive thing in terms of all of our planning that we're going to have to look at renewable and, and look at the grid system as a whole in terms of what we're doing. But I'm going to shift gears here. We've t- we've mentioned wind. And, of course, one of the big things, and where I should mention that for those who don't know, we're based out of California. But one of the big things in California now is we're going to have offshore wind. Now, now that's been happening in Europe. It's been happening off the East Coast. Different underwater topography out there. A lot of that wind was actually fixed in the bottom sediment, if you will. It was on, on the bottom on the west coast you have this very steep escarpment that drops off in the ocean so we're talking about floating uh uh, uh offshore wind capability right, out there yeah. <laughs> a lot going on and one of the things that the war in ukraine and the threat of russia but also some things we've seen with china has brought up is there is actually a national security military perspective on this which has been kind of overlooked for some time, which is the vulnerability. If you're building these huge offshore wind farms and you're building a reliance and dependence on them, they become a military target. And the question is, how do we protect them? How do we, how do we marshal the resources to, to maintain maritime domain awareness in all areas on the sea and under the sea to protect these relatively vulnerable assets that we're putting offshore. So now, that's a big question that's going on out there. And, and I got to tell you right now, uh, a lot of folks in the military are looking at this and they're scratching their heads. And and a lot of it goes to budget allocation and things like that in terms of where do we put our resources and our, and our, and our money. Well, it goes to a cohesive policy and, you know, we, you know, we, we love, we do and we rightfully should sell celebrate the fact that we we have a lot we have localized you know we're, we're localized decision making I and mean, we're, we're united series of states and but this with the seriousness of this the integration of a broader you know defense response to to these assets as you just alluded to is is really really requires federal leadership and you know we must you know this series is about in a large part as we said business continuity those of you listening to this okay must as, as businessmen and women making decisions how what decisions do we make in terms of power sourcing and you know redundancy considerations localization in terms of potential cost spikes based on not having access to the type of power um, that that's needed or fear that that we, we don't have a, a comprehensive integrated overarching federal response because this is a power is a geopolitical security concern by the way i i mentioned that with offshore wind i should also mention that there's a lot going on with floating solar collectors yeah now one thing here uh, they're talking yes. about is with some of the reservoirs and the canal systems actually to have 
first off, they wanted to put something on top just to diminish the amount of evaporation loss of the water. But now they're looking at putting uh, actual solar collectors that float on these reservoirs, on, you know, on the canals themselves as a source of energy brings up another homeland security uh, issue, which is how do you protect them? How do you keep them from being cut off? But it also goes to, there's talk about doing this offshore, maybe with something that floats on the ocean. And we don't have, our national security system, uh, you know, we look at protecting nuclear power plants. We look at protecting dams. We looked at a lot of things. We have not really looked at what do we do with all the stuff if it's floating out in the ocean. Our Navy has limited capabilities. Our Coast Guard has limited capabilities. There's an investment. There's a cost to doing business. Should we shift to that type of yep. new renewable energy reality. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 we have a client that's a large chemical manufacturer that has Homeland Security cameras on it be, for that very reason because they deal with, well, some chemicals that would be attractive to um, bad actors. All right. So that, but again, we're, we're, we're barren in terms of, of these other our, our critical assets. One key point before we close, and I think that this goes to the business and this goes to the political elements that we must... It, the developed world must take leadership. And there's a real tension out there on a global issue between the developed world and the developing world. And, you know, we've talked about the developing world many times and, and how this integration. Point is, we've done our bit in terms of increasing the carbon. What we need to do, the developing world is looking at saying, hey, we can't have the same cuts as you're inflicting on us that you you are arguing to make because you've already made it so to speak there is some legitimacy to that argument we have to be sensitive to that i think the business we all we all have a vested interest both you know the business world and the developed political world in supporting and harmonizing the approach with the developing world i mean and, and if i could just mention something with fortress north america as a concept and talking about the grid system beyond just the national grid we need to look at, as you alluded to, the international side, but also looking at Mexico, the U.S., and Canada in a more holistic way. And with that, also looking at countries in Central America. You know, a lot of those countries in Central America, they have severe challenges in terms of maintaining enough electricity to keep their own power system, their own network going, their own little grid systems going. Yeah. They buy a lot of power from Mexico or from elsewhere, but we need to look at this in a much more integrated model. And I would point this out as, as important as you know things like offshore wind in California are, there is some stuff they're talking about with solar development and wind development in Northern Mexico, which could turn it into an electricity powerhouse. And so when we're planning, we have to look at how we're going to bring that into our system, how we're gonna protect that right. if we're reliant on it, we got to make sure it's not something that can be shut down, turned off as well. If they're part of Fortress North America, they're 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 behind the walls. And you know, on a point that we made on an earlier podcast, like it or not, this is there's got to be positive codependency because you know mm -hmm. this is where we are. That's exactly. I think codependency, which doesn't have a very good connotation, <laughs> as you know, but 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 code, we are codependent. Yeah, and we do have to work together, and we see that. We see it in North America, we see it with renewable energies. And I think as we move into this, we're going to see a realignment of, of US, North American interests, also working with NATO, the European Union, and our Asian allies in terms of how we reevaluate our strategic position around the world. So with that, Mark, great discussion. Thanks, Thank Al. you. All right.
Strat, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kempfer and Mark Mansfield. <laughs>